You're listening to the Soul Align Self-Care Podcast. I'm your host, Tina Stinson, and today we are having a special guest on. Now, one of the things that I wanted to bring out into the open was normalizing deep-level self-care for men. And so today I'm having on Adam Baru, and he's sharing his deep-level self-care journey with us. Adam is a self-designated serial entrepreneur and leads three companies as a CEO. Sweetcentric, a NetSuite solution, provider, and reseller that Baru has led for almost seven years. EIQ Media Group is a podcast production and software publisher that hosts many podcasts, including his own, Beyond the Microphone, and then also Podtask, an online podcast episode management and workflow platform that helps podcasters streamline their production flow. And it also has several AI-based marketing tools designed to save the podcaster time and elevate their marketing capabilities. Baru lives in San Diego and has four kids ranging from three to 24. He has also been an international wedding photographer. He's been busy, right? So I am so excited to talk to Adam today. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Soul Aligned Self-Care Podcast. I'm your host, Tina Stinson, and we will be talking all about deep level self-care practices to help you have success in both your personal and professional life by reducing stress and anxiety and overwhelm, improving your mindset, and creating a strong, loving connection with yourself. I'll see you on the inside. Hello, Adam. Welcome to the Soul Aligned Self-Care Podcast. It's so great to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So as you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on is I wanted to start to bring awareness to self-care for men as well as women, because it seems like I do focus a lot on women. And I think it's really important that men have a voice in this arena and that it becomes more normalized for men. And so with that said, I would love for you to share like the journey that you shared with me when we talked before. Yeah. Well, first off, thanks for, you know, giving the platform because, um, I, I do, you know, when we talked offline about this, but I, I do think, you know, there's a different pressure on men, you know, as, as, and I don't know, maybe this is a stereotype, but it is what it is. I mean, and, and definitely in my world, um, I am the sole provider for my family. So there's, there's a pressure that we have, um, that, you know, I think what happens is we just, when we're faced with challenges, personal challenges in particular, we often conceal them um, because the, the it seems like the more important mission is to provide for the family and put their mm-hmm. needs above our own. And that's the world that I've existed in for, you know, my oldest kid is almost 24. So I would say probably in the entire time I've been a father for 24 years now, it really wasn't until a couple of years ago that I felt um, that my needs were actually worth addressing um, and communicating to my wife about, you know, because I, I think things that were happening as I was concealing my own pain and struggle was that I was starting to build resentment because 
you know, my wife was allocating, you know, she was very good about communicating her needs when she needed to go to yoga or get in the ocean and jump on her surfboard. Um, I was finding that I was gaining more and more resentment around that because, you know, I just wasn't really communicating what I needed. Part of that had to do with the fact that I didn't think what I needed. It wasn't really an explicit thing, but I had, there was just a belief system that what I needed really wasn't really that important, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And but you know what? I, I think that this is a really important perspective. I just want to point this out because there's so, there's so many double stand, there's so many like standards, expectations that are completely unreasonable. And women are quite aware of all the unreasonable expectations that are on them, you know, there, and there's so many of them, but there's also like so many unrealistic you know, expectations of men also. And we don't always see both sides of the coin as this affects these unrealistic expectations that are like written by God knows who, like society society or wherever this started, but it puts, it's bad for everybody. It's not just bad for women, but it's also bad for men. And so I, I appreciate it. Yeah. And, and look, I completely get like, especially, you know, in our situation where I am a sole provider, you know, my wife is the primary caretaker. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that, you know, by me addressing my needs, that it's, that there's some sort of uh, message there that what my wife also needs is, is less important, right? It's, I know the difficulties that women and mothers have when it comes to raising and being the primary caregiver. I mean, I'll go back to when my third child, who's almost eight was born, you know, I feel like looking back now, it was like, for two months, I'd come home from work and the house was a mess. And my wife hadn't even had a chance to like take a shower or, you know, take much care of herself at all, really. And so I get that. And, and, you know, me seeing her go through that struggle, I, I think what it did reinforce in me, and I think this was, this was an incorrect belief system that I developed. And this is kind of mm-hmm. part of the issue, but seeing her and her struggle, which was a very physical and mental challenge, you know, just being completely exhausted and where she like physically couldn't even go to the bathroom with having, without having a child attached to her. Like I would see yeah. her go through that and it would just make me feel like, okay, well, the focus should be on my wife, right? Like, it does. I shouldn't really tell her about my day as crappy as it was because I should just get home and just do what I need to do to alleviate and give her some space. Right. And so, you know, these events just end up reinforcing and locking in this belief system that just continue to conceal what I'm going through. There's who am I going to talk about it? And then the other side to this too, and, and why I think my journey has been a little bit different is. I am the CEO of an IT consulting professional services company. I've been running this company for seven years. And the last few years have been, I don't know if I could swear on your show, but I blip this out if I can't. It's a shit show. It's been a shit show roller coaster of, um, you know, emotional and, you know, I'm responsible not only for my family, but I'm responsible for all of my employees. And so that, carries a whole other layer of me stuffing down what I need personally to be happy and to be balanced. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's been a it's been a real interesting ride. But um, to get back to your initial question and for your audience, just to paint the picture. So I just turned fifty in March, and I think there is something that happens when you hit a milestone like that, where you do get a little reflective, right? But I've also had yes. like, some events happen in my life over the past couple of years. I mean, we all number one, we all experienced the pandemic, right? But you know, I had to guide, you know, a company through that as well and employees and pay attention to their mental health. Right. Um, and what really launched me into a journey of self-exploration and self-healing was around very late 2019. This was a couple of months after my fourth child was born, who now is almost, well, he's almost four. Um, I, so I have four kids, although two of them are older, they're adults. So, you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, they don't really require too much of my time or attention anymore as much as well compared to my younger children. But yeah, so I had really in my household, then I had two young children. I'm running a company. I have a guy who I fired about five years ago, who's been suing me for claiming wrongful termination for several years. And the court systems because of the pandemic, this, that, the other thing. I mean, I fired him in August of 2018. And now we're here. This is, well, we actually just hit the, what? I guess that would be the five-year mark. That's crazy. A little bit over five years ago, I terminated this guy for absolutely justifiable cause. um, Well-documented, both from customers and employees. um, But I won't get into the details of that. Um, But- you know, the, the trial was now recently moved to January of 2024. So this has been an absolute anchor on me. And yes. I want to talk a little bit more about that later, but anyway, going back to this late 2019, just, you know, and then as we launch into the pandemic, I started developing these really, really bad anxiety attacks, which I had never had before in my life. I have had anxiety, but I had never had a panic attack. I had, mm-hmm. one, I had one, one time for other reasons. I was in New York right after 9-11 and had one flying back on the airplane, which is claustrophobia. Understandable. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but then it never happened again. And now I started getting them in late 2019. Okay. I'm sleeping about three hours a night because, you know, I'm working, running my company all day long get home, do the whole family thing, making dinner, feeding the kids, trying to play with them a little bit, doing the whole bedtime routine. And then I, I was on this one project where I had, a, I had an Indian team I was working with. And so I had to be back online at 9 p.m. because that's when the Indian team was online for their middle of their day. So then I'd work till one in the morning and I, I had told my wife, I'm like, well, I'm already up. If if our little guy gets up, I'll get him back to bed. And that way you can sleep. So again, kind of putting, it's just a pattern of putting everybody else's needs before my own. Yeah. Sleeping a disjointed three hours a night. It wasn't even straight. And working about 80 hours a week, trying to keep my company afloat and our own personal finances intact. And then bam, now I'm starting to get these claustrophobic anxiety attacks just out of seemingly out of nowhere, not really out of nowhere when I look back at it, but seemingly. Yeah. It feels that way. Yeah. I mean, looking back, I'm like, well, what's different about this time that is actually rearing its ugly head? Well, 
I think our issues are in our tissues and they will present themselves. Always. I, you yeah. know, when, when the pot's boiling over, you know, you can't contain everything, you know, no, it's always going to come out. <laughs> and, and this is really the core of the story here. I mean, I think I contained everything and didn't address my personal needs or even speak to anybody about them to the point where my nervous system was like, well, if you're not going to take care of yourself, we're going to start throwing some symptoms out there to let you know how, how dire of a situation you're in. Right. Yeah. You get forced, forced to take care of yourself. And then we, then, then the pandemic hits. Right. And so it's just going on and getting worse and worse. I couldn't even go to sleep without having one every night I would have a bad panic attack. I'd have to go seek my wife, my wife for comfort, you know, I mean, just like wake her up. I'm, you know, wake her up to like, right. Which would help. I mean, the comfort that she gave me actually would settle me back down and I'd go to sleep. Um, and then it was in early 2021 where I finally recognized this isn't going to go away by itself. I have to, I actually have to do stuff and change stuff to get ahead of this. And so, you know, recognizing the overworking part, I, I made a really significant investment to hire some really expensive resources that could take over this development work that I was doing. Cause not only was I CEO of my company, but I was, you know, like most startups, I was wearing, you know, 14, 15 different hats there and was the lead developer on this one project, the lead project manager, architect, everything. And so hired, hired all these guys and turned everything over to them, got myself out of operational work and you know, really the thing that, that brought everything together for me was finding, um, I will say manifesting, I manifested Kristen Taylor into my life with the decision I made to, to put myself on a path to, of healing. And yes. So, you know, as running my company and being really connected on LinkedIn, I get every day I get solicitation for this, that, the other thing, everybody wants to sell me stuff on LinkedIn. Right. And I can't tell you how many executive coaches have tried to reach out to me and I just click, ignore, click, ignore, click, ignore. Um, and just one day I said, well, maybe this is what I need. And so I responded to an automated marketing solicitation and that was Kristen's automated That's awesome. robot. I love that. And, uh, and she and I, so I started working with her and it was in our second session where I had the biggest revelation and breakthrough in my life and, and what started the entire healing journey, which was a conversation that we were having in our second session together. I was talking about my divorce with my ex-wife and, and a lot of guilt that I still felt around, you know, stuff that I, that I saw in my older kids that I felt was the result of the divorce. And so we were exploring that and, and Kristen said, well, so Adam, like, what do you, do you think it's, it's guilt that you feel towards that? Or do you feel shame? I said, I mean, I have like, I don't know, like, I don't even know what the difference is in that Kristen. Like, can you explain it to me? And she did. And, uh, and so I, you know, we finished our session. This was like a Friday and I, I went home and did the whole family thing again. And so everybody's asleep in my house. I Fridays, usually I would kind of binge watch a couple of shows and so everybody's asleep. I just finished a show that I had watched. It was midnight. 
the house was quiet and kind of dark. I turned off the TV and that earlier conversation kind of came back to my mind. And I was like, huh, like, is there, like, is there something I do feel shameful for in my life? And it was as soon as I voiced that thought in my head, I immediately went back to when I was six years old and, you know, right after my parents had split and my mom would have this teenage babysitter boy come over to watch me. And, um, as soon as my mom would leave, this kid would lock me in her walk-in closet, barricade the door and shut off the lights, which were controlled outside of the closet. And I was oh sick. My God. And I Ugh, still, even horrible. right now talking about it, I can feel that feeling of terror of being locked oh in a completely pitch black closet. Um, and they, and then he'd invite his friends over and they'd have, you know, parties doing like pretty hardcore drugs. I mean, I remember finally being let out of that closet and seeing kids passed out with rubber hoses around their arms and needles. Okay. Oh my God. It's crazy. Like a, a parent's nightmare. And you know, the worst of the worst part of it and what developed the shame is that, you know, one of the times that they, that I was let out of that closet they thought it would be funny to undress me and molest me. And so like now I'm sitting here, you know, 40 something years later or whatever. And this memory comes back and I, and I knew right away that what I had developed in, you know, in that experience at six years old was thinking that it was my fault mm -hmm. that I caused that, that I was, that I invited that event. But immediately I knew that like right away when I voiced that thought and then I kind of like recognized that, oh my God, everything traces back to that. I'm like, <laughs> clearly I was a victim in that. This is the first time I really had recognized that I was a victim and that I can let myself off the hook, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that, that really then started this whole healing journey, self-exploration, mindfulness, mindset, gratitude, recognizing I'm not a victim um, you know, like eliminating that mentality, uh, because clearly what I had developed over the, the 40 or so years of carrying that burden was a deep level of shame and negative self-talk and running my company that now like imposter syndrome and, mm -hmm. you know, all sorts of, you know, manifestations of, of that feeling of shame and, that, it, that I had perpetrated that, that event. So. Yeah. And, and I, I want to thank you for sharing such a deeply personal story. Cause I think it's really important to bring these issues to the surface and really talk about them. So thank you for that. And um, I also want to point out that like, that's probably like what I would see as the reason you were such a people pleaser, you know um, yeah. you know, and, and some of the things that you were doing very naturally were things that, you know, a coach would probably tell you to do. Like you delegated some really expensive workout because you knew that you needed to do that. You needed, you, and that's a form of self-care, you know, kind of trying to reduce the friction in your life. And um, would you say that when you were working with this executive coach, that that one moment, that one question was the like aha moment. And then you just kind of um, worked with her through all the things that you were just talking about, like gratitude and uh, mindfulness and stuff like that. Would you say that was like the one thing? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because 
the memory of, of that event was never, I never blocked it out or blacked it out, but I hit it. Like I never spoke to anybody about it. I had never told my ex-wife about that event. I had mm-hmm. never told my current wife about that event. I, I, I had developed this belief system that it happened in the past and that it, it didn't really shape anything in my life after that. Well, clearly, you know, I, part of it was number one, I think I was just my, I'm a big, I'm not a religious guy. Cause I just was never really raised that way, but I do believe in God and spirit. And so I think what happened is that my higher spirit said, he's now ready to process this event in his life and, and mm-hmm. what transpired after that. And so let's, let's open, let's open the doors to, to a path of healing for him. And so, you know, I've, I've talked to my wife about many other things that have like, you know, been painful moments, but I never really felt that I could open up about this event. And so now just by doing so, partly because again, my higher spirit was giving me that space for me to, to face it, but also I give a lot of credit to Kristen because of the type of person that she is and the type of coach that she is. She, and if anybody ever speaks to her right away, they'll, they'll get an immediate feeling that she creates a a place of safety. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was able to talk about this with her. And so right after that happened, I planned a dinner with my wife where during that dinner, I told her everything. And so now I'm opening the door to being vulnerable because Mm -hmm. that's something that was really hard for me to be vulnerable because it was hard for me to, to face that shame because I already had developed such a low self-esteem because of, you know, the shame in, in that event that it was, I, anything, any concept of me being flawed was too much to handle. Right. But now I recognize that it was okay. And there was actually a lot of healing power in the vulnerability and in the sharing of the the story. And then at the same time, you know, after I told my wife, I set up um, some, some moments with my two older children to tell them because I wanted to, to model um, for them. Like if they're ever experiencing, you you know, similar feelings about themselves that, they saw that their father opened up vulnerably and, and it's okay. Yeah. That's, and I think that's so important. And I think it's also, um, I'm curious, would, would you say, what, what would you say this did for the relationship between you and your wife? And then also between you and your kids, that this deepened the connection Did this. Certainly uh, It, it deepened the connection. Um, I think what I, you know, what, what my hope was is, is to break this cycle of not talking about, um, painful things. And so Mm -hmm. I, I hope that I kind of paved the way for them in their own lives, not just with me, but, you know, being able to, you know, ultimately when they get married, have the ability to talk about these things with their spouses and partners. And, and so, you know, definitely it strengthened the bond. I have, you know, 
even like my son, like, you know, has talked to me about like, you know, challenges that he's been dealing with. And, and I do think that my talking with him about my experience paved the way for that and, and hopefully just, you know, provided a really solid um, understanding of how important it is to communicate stuff, the good, the bad, and the ugly in their own lives with their own, you know, people around them in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's the key to this whole conversation that we're having right now is the fact that you, you took a huge step. You felt that was hard for you to take and being vulnerable and talking to your wife and then your kids. And this is, I think a step that a lot of men are afraid to ever take. They don't think they can take it because of that expectation for them to be this strong person that always has to be the strong one, which is, it's an unreasonable expectation, but it's also not true. And most, I think most women know that it's not true. They don't expect this of their um, partners or even just any of the men in their life. And I think that that is the perfect example that a lot of people need to see, I think. And I'm, and I love that you talk to your kids about this because not only does it help them know that it's safe to have this type of relationship with their future partners, whoever they might be, but it's safe for them to talk about these things when they're feeling any type of, you know, stress, anxiety, or anything in their life. And it's, and, and to open up before you get to that point where you're having the panic attacks, you know, you know, so like, I, I hate the fact that we get to this point that we have to get to these points of like the, you know, the low, the bottom of our, you know, existence and our health in order to come to the conclusion instead of just living a healthy, you know, lifestyle, you know, and having these positive relationships in our life. And I, I just, I just want to like, kudos to you for taking that big leap, you know, which a lot of people, a lot of men too, are afraid to take that leap. So I hope that there's a lot of men listening right now that can actually feel safe doing that now moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I've really, I, I, I took it as a call to action, um, to model, you know, not just for my family, but also being the CEO of a business in the IT space, which is typically very male dominated. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a lot of aggression and competitiveness mm -hmm. and ego in this. And I've experienced this. I mean, um, you know, a lot of this has to do with the fact that, you know, I'm a Gen Xer and it was never really, I, I just don't think it, historically um, that there was a lot of space for men to talk open and vulnerably, especially CEOs and business leaders. But my call to action was now to, to show other business leaders. Um, and, and really the pandemic, I think, also helped this. You know, we live in an age where because of the pandemic, you know, we fast tracked into this and I'm not, I'm not a, the person that originally coined this term, but I do, I've heard this, but I do, I do firmly believe that we are living in an age of awareness right now. Mm -hmm. Look back at, you know, periods of history, like the Renaissance and just different periods of time. Like, I think one of the big trends that's happening right now, one of the big movements is, and I don't think it's really an explicit thing, but I think we've moved into this age of awareness where 
it's becoming normalized to talk about mental health. You see it happening in popular culture and athletes and actors and, um, you know, politicians across the board. I think it's becoming more normalized and safer to talk about our mental health. And so I'm really very optimistic actually, and, and excited about, you know, the millennial generation, Gen Z and, and, you know, I don't even know what we call my younger kids generation. I don't think alpha, they- alpha. Okay. Generation alpha. I I really think that there's a lot of hope in these, in these younger generations with this age of awareness where it's going to be very normal to talk about um, personal stuff, challenging stuff, painful stuff. And I want to share really quickly um, something that happened recently. So there is this so I live in North San Diego County and up in San Juan Capistrano, which is an orange County, there is a, an organic farm and community that we've become, become involved with over the past couple of years. It's called the ecology center. It's mm-hmm. run by, you know, not a close friend, but, but a friend that we've gotten to know Evan Morrison, um, who lives in, in my town here, um, in Oceanside and, I, I'm so in awe of what they've been able to do there. So we went for, it was like an organic strawberry or berry picking day, but then they have all sorts of other stuff going on there as well. They have a, an education program, um, that they've been establishing. And I got to talking to the director of that education program. I overheard him actually talking with another couple who, who was in the, like maybe five feet away from me. And he said something that like struck a deep chord and really resonated this age of awareness concept with me. He was telling this other couple, you know, I mean, if you look around, yeah, we're a farm, like we grow organic produce and, and, and that's what, you know, that's what like visibly we are to people, but really what we strive to be is not just a a farm in the traditional sense of, of like growing food, but we take an absolute pride in the responsibility for growing young minds through our education and outreach. And, you know, in our education program, we, we really teach the kids about mindfulness and mental health and, and emotional regulation. And because those are topics that are near and dear to my heart, I was like, I just stopped for a moment and it really made me again, just so proud of where we are in 2023 and and have all this optimism for the future. And I actually went and spoke to him about that afterwards and and told him how much. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Yeah. I love that. And so here we are. I mean, I, and, and like I said, like, it gives me a lot of hope. I do think that, you know, these conversations that you and I are having, are more and more frequently held and people are, and I, you know, podcasting is, is, has a lot to do with this as well, because it, it's a really interesting, um, medium in which I do find people, um, feel like they can share vulnerable stories and, and it's important to do so because, you know, our kids are going to be faced with such profound challenges globally. Yeah, they already are. Whatever they already are. So mm-hmm. how can we enable them to deal with those things? We can enable them to deal with them by making sure that our kids have the mental health and the mindset and the regulation to be able to face the challenges they're going to face in their lives. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure you can see this too, because of the age differences in your kids. You know, my oldest is 30 and my youngest is 22. And just in that age difference, I see the the generational changes that are so positive in their friend groups and just the the way they act and the way they present themselves. And and my kids are so much further ahead than I was when I was their age. And that's just really, really good to see. Um, yeah, talking about podcasts, I also want to, I want you to share, you have a podcast. Tell me a little bit about your podcast. So what's interesting is I never could have envisioned that I would be in doing anything in the podcasting space. If you would have Me asked too. three years ago, I mean, I was running an IT consulting company. In fact, it came up at, at one point um, with one of my business partners, like, hey, we should have a podcast and talk about NetSuite. I'm like, I would rather throw up um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and gouge my eyes out than do anything like that. Um, but here I am in the podcasting space. You know, my my older brother is an actor. And so he you know, I always kind of like saw this outgoingness and and I was happy to just be a fly on the wall and kind of be more, I, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a pure introvert, but I'm, I'm kind of like extrovert introvert. Like I, I'm comfortable being out there, but you know, the idea of podcasting was like, you know, where you're kind of front and center leading conversations. I'm like, eh, not for me, mm-hmm. but again, the call to action in my, in my healing journey and wanting to kind of take my story to help others this whole podcasting existence manifested out of that experience. So shortly after I started working with Kristen, I decided, you know, I want to actually get out there publicly and tell my story and talk about mental health um, in an effort to try to make some somewhat of an impact in normalizing the mental health conversation. So I started a podcast called The Change, which was around servant leadership and business and mental health and um, exploring the, that great resignation that was, um, happening during the pandemic. And I really yeah. that podcast, I did do one season of it and then decided to kind of move on to something else, partly because I didn't set up that podcast in a way where it was efficient with my time. I mean, it was a really huge time burden. I, I liked it and I liked you know, I bring on authors. And so I was reading all their books and doing all this preparation and research. And just yeah. at the end of the day, what I did experience with that was burnout because I, I just didn't set myself up to do it the right way. Yeah. I talked Kristen into a podcast hosting one that I produce. So she has a podcast called how I made it through. Um, the first season she spoke with people about that have gone through like major, like near-death experiences, amputations. Um, we spoke to Dave Dervecki, who was a former major league baseball pitcher for the Padres and the San Francisco Giants, who um, was diagnosed with cancer in his throwing arm. Ultimately, he had to get that arm and shoulder, uh, collarbone amputated. And, and so he came on to tell his story. And, um, Amazing. First, her podcast has evolved to kind of more focusing on near-death experiences and, and that sort of a thing. I hope I, I produce another podcast now called What I Wish I Knew, hosted by Irene Ortiz Glass, where she had surgical menopause and, and really a rough journey throughout her, her life as a woman dealing with, um, you know, a variety of issues and, and really the menopause and perimenopause has been a challenge for her, but she's kind of come out of it with a 
with a story that she wanted to share to help women going through that experience. And so I love love all these. I want to like, I'm writing them all down. (laughs) Yeah. It's really, you know, for me as a guy, like, you know, it's interesting because it's not something that I have to deal with, but I want to be witness to those experiences because I, you know, as much as I can know what everybody's going through, like it helps me just as a human. And so it's been a great journey with her um, producing her podcast and she has a book coming out. And now I'm about to produce a fourth podcast called The Mentor Files, hosted by Monica Royer, who's an entrepreneur out of Chicago. Um, so this whole podcasting thing is just manifested out of this healing journey. I now have an, a new podcast called Beyond the Microphone, which you came on as a guest talking to... It's a podcast about podcasters and the stories behind how their shows came together, grew, and what they discovered personally and you know about podcasting along the way. And it, it it's so much fun to be in this space. I love these conversations. I love the format. I love meeting all of the people that I've met who have openly and vulnerably shared their stories and, and how their podcasting experience came out of their own journeys. And so it, it gives me a lot of pride and um, comfort. And, and I know, you know, I, my, I'm still in my healing journey. I'm yeah. <laughs> going to be a forever thing. And I'm, I'm totally comfortable with that, but, but at least, you know, I, the foundational stuff has been addressed and really this podcasting world has just reinforced, you know, how important it is to face our challenges and to let life just kind of go in a direction that we don't expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you just never know what direction you're going to go in. You just never know. And I love that about life. I really do. Yeah. Well, I have, I have one more question for you that doesn't like pertain to any of this. I ask everybody that comes on my podcast and it's just a fun question. And it is, if you could have anything in the world without any limitations, monetary, social, any, any limitations at all, what would it be? It's definitely not going to be a material thing. It, it probably is more of, you know, the, the number one thing I desire and, and wish to do to have an impact is to, you know, manifest more conversations like this, providing healing for people. And so the, the thing that I would really desire out of, out of life is an impact knowing that my journey through this life has, has helped others. That's the only thing I desire in life. That's nice. I, I love that. That's Just beautiful. Not, again, going back to why I'm here in the first place, like I desire to have the, the comfort and, and the, the knowledge that I'm worthy and to also provide that comfort and that feeling of, of joy and playfulness and gratitude to others, if I can provide that in their lives. Beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. So how can people get connected with you if they need to get connected with you? 
the best place is probably LinkedIn, um, just because I'm so heavily involved there on the on a day to day basis. So you know, search me out on LinkedIn. Um, I'd be happy to answer any direct messages that anybody may want to send to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, find so my podcast production company is called EIQ Media Group. Um, and I'd be super thrilled if, if anybody found an interest in any of the topics in the, within the podcast that we produce, um, to check those out, check out beyond to the microphone, because even though it is a podcast about podcasters, really a lot, a lot of the stories that come out of that podcast have to do with mindset and mental health and emotional courage. And, and so check those out. I, I would be thrilled, um, for people to check those out and to, to rate and review. Excellent. Excellent. We'll put all that in the show notes so people could find you. I want to thank you again for coming on. It was a gift. And I just want to say that the work that you're doing is so needed. And I want to thank you for it. I want all the women want to thank you for this. Well, Tina, I mean, thanks for giving me the space to be able to to tell my story and to hopefully have made an impact on anybody listening here today. So thanks so much for having me.